back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW's weekly show where we hit on everything, all of the major news, the form of the team, transfers, coaching changes, all of it. And man, there is a lot to talk about this week. If you listen to the preview show that I did for Bayern Munich versus Borussia Dortmund, I touched a little bit on the scenario that I was in where I was traveling at the time that Bayern Munich's bombshell of sacking Julian Nagelsmann started to drop. So that was interesting. And I've got a ton of thoughts on Julian Nagelsmann's tenure, the hiring of Thomas Tuchel, what it all means. And I will definitely get to that in this episode. But before I do that, there were a couple of other stories that I thought were newsworthy enough for us to spend some time on in this show. In this show, So let's get to it. I don't want to waste anybody's time rambling on about nonsense about like sometimes I tend to, but let's get right to it. Of all the stories that happened this week, one of the key ones, and I think it was a little bit understated everywhere because the games were friendlies were Germany's performance during the international break. And what I wanted to talk about is what can we learn from it? And to be honest, there wasn't a whole hell of a lot. Uh, What we did see was Germany having uneven yet winning performance against Peru and then a very disappointing start in what turned out to be a not so bad second half effort in a loss to Belgium. So in the Peru match, I think what we wanted to see was how this German team was going to adapt to the four triple two system, how the players would look, how they would flow on the field. And I think what we saw was Germany won that match basically because they were a more talented and deep team. Uh, It was very choppy. There was not much flow to the game. Uh, I did not like the way some of the players looked. I thought it was a very, very disappointing international break for Florian Wirtz for a few reasons. Uh, But honestly, when when you assess that Peru match, you didn't come away too confident. But the next match against Belgium... You started things, at least I did. I started optimistically, like, okay, Germany's going to ramp it up. In my mind, they had a somewhat of a better starting lineup because they had Bayern Munich's midfield of Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich in there. But I also saw some deficiencies in defense as soon as I saw Tilo Kerrer uh, as part of the starting 11. So there were some issues. I thought that Germany was very weak up the middle against Belgium. I thought their back line was atrocious. I thought it was just a terrible, terrible showing from them. Uh, And overall, the first half effort, I mean, they were down to nothing in the first nine minutes. And Germany just did not recover in that first half. They got kind of lucky with a, I think it was a Romelu Lukaku header that uh, or actually a Nicholas Fulkrug header that hit Romelu Lukaku in the hand, which resulted in a PK for Fulkrug. Uh, Fulkrug, in my mind, was one of the lone bright spots of this international break. Uh, he continues to just score, and I know people knock him for maybe not doing much else, but in the end, you need somebody to put the ball in the net, and he has consistently done that through the World Cup and through this international break when given the opportunity. But Germany did come out with more spirit and more fight in the second half, of course, Flick made some changes. He yanked Verts after a half hour, uh, and he also mixed things up a little bit, put a little bit more on the shoulders of Serge Gnabry, who I thought rose to the occasion in the second half. Uh, it was not a good set of games for Germany. What we did learn about this team is that there is a long way to go ahead of the Euros. 
I don't think anybody should have a ton of confidence in how they'll perform at the Euros. For whatever reason, uh, this German group of players has not been able to refine that magic that they once had. I mean, if you think back, a lot of these players are were among the core group of the 2017 Confederations Cup group that was just phenomenal. Since then, as a unit, they have not progressed. And even as they've integrated with some older players and they've mixed in some younger players, it just hasn't worked. It hasn't worked under Yogi Love. And even though it did look great initially under Hansi Flick, there was this confident attacking feel. There was pace to the match. Germany looked like a different side. But we got to the World Cup. Germany did not have all the pieces that Flick was working with. He was guessing on who to play where. He was reluctant to use players like Full Krug. And I think that they never meshed. They never gelled. And I think we're still seeing some of that now. And at some point, yes, Flick is accountable for how this all looks. And he will definitely be the one who's had his own chopping block. But the players here also have to take some accountability. They also have to step up. They have not performed. And I'm talking about all of them. It has not been good. Uh, You could go through the matches from just prior to the World Cup to the World Cup to now, and it's pretty hard to say that anyone has really been a standout. If anything, Nicholas Fulkrug, who is one of the players who wasn't even on the national team radar at this time last year, has been the one player who has consistently done something. Uh, At least he's scoring. So where this German team is at right now is not in a good place. Flick is going to have to not just figure out personnel, I mean, he tried some different things. He tried to integrate some younger players. I don't know that he got enough of a sample size on some of them to to really know if he could count on them in the future. Flick is also going to have to determine what formation he's going to run, and he's going to have to figure out how to make this all mixed. If he does take some of those younger players, how do they integrate with the new core group of the team with players like Goretzka, Kimmich, Gnabry, Nicholas Sula, Nico Schlotterbeck, how do they integrate with them? And then how do those players integrate with players like Thomas Muller, Ilkay Gundogan, Manuel Neuer, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen? How does that all come together? And I don't think Flick has any answers right now. And as much as I've backed him in the past, and as, as excited as I was when he took over Germany, he aside of that initial burst, and I think it was the initial 12 games were pretty much all great, if I remember. Not great, but they were successful. Since then, it's been a significant drop-off. And I think I'm going to be dead honest with you. I think the way he handled the World Cup caused some players to lose faith in in his ability to manage the team. And it's painful for me to say that about Flick because I've been an enormous backer of him. Uh, I have, you know, listen, I was one of the first hashtag stick with Flick people when he got the job at Bayern, and you could see the impact that he made. And I was extremely excited and fired up when he got the job at Germany, but he has not figured it out yet. And I don't know if this is a Rubik's Cube that he's going to be able to figure out in time for the Euros. There are a lot of moving pieces. This German team has not looked good functioning together. The talent pool is as shallow as as it has maybe ever been. And I think part of it is some of the players are overrated uh, and others are underperforming. And You know, Flick has to sift through all of that to somehow find a way to get 11 players to to be able to beat the opposition. And right now, I don't have any confidence that that's going to happen. I think that he learned a little bit. I think that he's going to make some adjustments. I think this will all look a little bit different when he integrates some of those veteran players back. 
But this isn't good. If you're a Germany fan, you can't be happy with what you saw, especially on the heels of what was a very disastrous World Cup. One of the other big stories that came out this week, and I'm only bringing this up because this is something I repeatedly get crushed for. A lot of people think I'm hard on Ryan Gravenberg, and, and maybe rightfully so. I've been very critical of him in terms of going to the media and complaining. And I do think that as a young player, he has not handled his situation with Bayern Munich in the best possible way. Uh, but one thing that came to light this week is that he sort of had a feud with Julian Nagelsmann, did not care for the manager, did not like the way he was being handled. And here's a shocker for you. I think Gravenberg is the problem. <laughs> so when you're a young player and you can't come into this mix at Bayern Munich and you have all of these talented players, especially in the central midfield, you're talking about Kimmich, Goretzka, Marcel Sabitzer, Conrad, well, not Conrad Limer yet, but he'll be there next year. Um, you had Jamal Musial playing a little bit of a deeper role at the beginning of the season. For Ryan Gravenberg or his agent or his family or whoever was in charge of convincing this player to move to Bayern Munich thought he was going to come in and start and be very impactful in this first season. It was very misguided. And it got to the point with Gravenberg where he wasn't getting a lot of playing time. He obviously went to the media. And then we saw him have some poor performances, which the coaching staff took note of. Uh, a couple of things that came out of the, I believe it was a sport build piece, uh, was that Graven Burke uh, was called out in front of the entire team for his lack of effort against Red Bull Salzburg and friendly that Byron had uh, just after the team restarted operations after the World Cup. Um, and Graven, that didn't, obviously did not sit well with Gravenberg, but as a coach, sometimes you need to make those decisions to, to call someone out. That's what coaches do. And at times every player goes through that. I, I know as a player in different sports, I was certainly called out by coaches at times for things that I wasn't doing. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find any player in any sport that has not been criticized by a coach in front of a team. Um, so for Graven Burke to take that so personally, it shows a lot of immaturity. And that just follows up this pattern of immaturity. Going to the media when you're unhappy, not once, but twice. Uh, not, you know, again, some of the problems that he allegedly had were issues with practice and training habits. And his lack of focus on his defensive responsibilities actually led the Bayern Munich coaching staff to think that he can't play a six or an eight position and that he would need to be a 10, which Ryan, if you weren't happy with your playing time as a six or an eight, I'd hate to break it to you. The line of players that can play the 10 at Bayern Munich is about a mile long. So it's not going to get any easier. So for Ryan Gravenberg, when Julian Nagelsmann got canned, which will of course be the next big subject we talk about, I'm sure that in a way he was probably a little happy. Whether he personally liked Nagelsmann or not, this represented a new opportunity for him to actually get some playing time, perhaps. But Gravenberg is going to have to handle everything a lot more maturely than he has. You can't sulk. You can't go to the media every time you're unhappy. You sure as hell can't go out and shirk your defensive responsibilities on the pitch. And I don't have a problem with Nagelsmann or his coaching staff calling out Gravenberg. I don't have a problem with them not playing him. Is he better than Yashua Kimmich? No. Is he better than Leon Gretzka? No. Was he better than Marcel Sabitzer? No. And I'll tell you, I firmly believe that part of the reason that Sabitzer was loaned out is because there was some inherent pressure on Nagelsmann 
to have to play Gravenberg. And even though it qu- not hasn't quite worked out that way, there was no possible circumstance where Nagelsmann was going to be able to work Gravenberg into the rotation in the central midfield if he had the three players in front of him being Kimmich, Goretzka, and Sabitzer. You could really argue, if you wanted to, that Sabitzer was the team's best central midfielder in the Hinrunda. Uh, not only was he dependable, not only was he consistent, he performed at a high level. He also took away parts of his game that he is best at, some of his creativity, some of his attacking prowess, to fit in next to Yashua Kimmich and to play a role as a more steady, stay-at-home defensive midfielder. And that allowed Kimmich to get in more, get more involved in the offense. And I, I firmly believe that Sabitzer's willingness to do that and his performance made Gravenberg pretty much obsolete on the Bayern Munich roster in the Hinrunda. And with all of the nonsense that Gravenberg pulled, the going to the media, the the the, the spectacle he caused in the Red Bull Salzburg match in terms of not defending, that's all on him. And as I wrote earlier this week, I mean, you can look at several parties that are to blame for this. One of them is not Nagelsmann, who was simply just the coach who was tasked with playing the best possible players. He didn't feel like Gravenberg was there, so he didn't play him. You can look at Gravenberg, who had maybe too high of expectations for playing time walking into this situation. You can look at his agent for guiding him to sign with Bayern Munich when you all you had to do was look at the roster and simply ask the question, where do I fit in? How am I going to get playing time when you have two midfielders, three midfielders in their prime ahead of me at the six and eight positions? What if I want to play the 10? You have Jamal Musiala, Thomas Muller, Leroy Sané, who has played there. You didn't, at that point, know where Sadio Mane was going to fit in or Kingsley Coman or Serge Gnabry, whatever. There were a million players. You had two youngsters and Arian Ibrahimovic and Paul Vonner that were possibilities there. There was no clear pathway for playing time. I put a lot of the blame on Graven Burke and his agent for how they handled this signing. They did not have a plan from Bayern Munich, at least one that it could be that could provide any type of reassurance to me. Uh, but one of the other people to blame here is Brazo. Now we all love Brazo for his PowerPoints and convincing players that they should sign with Bayern Munich. This is not the first time that a player, particularly a young player, has been brought in expecting to play and then doesn't get that time. You can go, you can look at several instances over the years of players who had this expectation, especially in the central midfield, which seems silly when you consider the central midfielders that Bayern Munich has had over the years. But you can look at several players who had an expectation of consistent playing time that did not get it. Some were Brazo acquisitions, some were not. Renato Sanchez, Corentin Tolisso, Mikel Cuisance, most recently Ryan Gravenberg. Uh, you could even go back to Sebastian Rudy. <laughs> And some of the players that that kind of fell in under that uh, Carlo Ancelotti, Nico Kovac era. But either way, you look at what Brazo has done successfully, but you have to say that when carving out a pathway to playing time for these players during negotiations, when he's trying to sell Bayern Munich, I, I think it's a little hard to say that he's not overselling what he's offering some of these kids. Uh, with Gra- Ryan Gravenberg, in particular, I, I honestly don't know how that kid could sit there and listen to Brazo 
unless Brazo specifically said, listen, Gretzka's out of here in a year or Kimmich, we don't know if we're going to resign him, whatever. Unless there was something like that, which we all know there was not. I don't know how Gravenberg could look at that situation and say, this would be good for me. And as far as Brazo selling him, you know, Byron, I'm sure is paying Gravenberg handsomely. I'm sure that they offered up all the amenities that, that Bayern Munich has to offer, whether it's the pristine training grounds, the history of the club, the money, obviously. There were a lot of things that Bayern Munich can offer, worldwide exposure. But what they could not offer that kid is playing time. And it seems like that's exactly what they did because one of the things that Gravenberg has cited is the promises of more playing time that he's getting. And to me, that's an issue with how he was sold Bayern Munich by Brazo. And it's also an issue with how that kid could honestly assess himself and honestly assess the situation. And that's where an agent comes into play. An agent needs to guide his player through this. And he didn't. Whoever this agent is, he or she, they did not do a good job of pushing Gravenberg through this in terms of showing him the upside, the downside, and realistically figuring out what was most important to the kid, which it seems like was playing time. He probably could have gotten similar money at a lot of different clubs, but he probably could have also gotten more playing time. So the allure of playing for Bayern Munich and all the hope that Brazo sold him, it means nothing because now he's done some damage to his reputation. It's not irreparable. He can get it back. If he has enough talent, enough drive, and enough work ethic, then he'll surely be a success. But right now, what we know about the kid is he's a sulky powder who's acted like a baby at a time where he should have been sucking it up and learning to be a professional. And that's the bottom line with it. And if you think I'm being hard on him, I can only go off what we've seen. I can go off the stories we've read, the reports that have been out there. And it's sad for the kid because it looks like he's got a lot of natural ability. But unless he can turn it around and change his attitude, maybe fix his work ethic, maybe be a little bit more focused to the responsibilities he's given when he's on the pitch, then we could see a turnaround with him. It's not to write him off. But I Need No Name said something that was very, to me, hit, struck a chord because back in the day, I was, I've been pretty critical on several of the players. Renato Sanchez, Mikel Cuisance, of course, the hashtag step over king. You know, Tom, Tom and I actually made kind of a joke about the whole cuisance thing because we the, one of the first pieces of action he got was him doing some unnecessary stepovers on the pitch. And it was great because it was entertaining, but in reality, we knew he was kind of a mess. So I've been hard about those two acquisitions in terms of why Byron would acquire those two players when they did. And I've also been hard on Sanchez and Cuisance for how they handled the situation. Sanchez did this very similar to what Gravenberg has done. He pouted the entire time. Cuisance waited a little, but then turned into ex an extreme baby and actually became maybe worse than all three of them because he complained to the media. He had a poor work ethic, verbally complained, became an issue at practice. I think he got into a run-in with Robert Lewandowski at one point. Whatever the case, he has, he was maybe the, the the poster child for how things can go wrong at Bayern Munich for a young midfielder. Sanchez... Listen, we've covered that in depth. He, he came in with not the right attitude. He didn't adapt. He went through some stuff personally, I think, that didn't help him. Had a horrible loan assignment and then just never got it together. And if you think Sanchez has reached his potential as a player, even in his current career, probably wrong. Puissant, same deal. He moved to Bayern Munich and it probably ruined him. For Gravenberg, you have to look at those situations and you have to say to yourself, 
am I going to be Renato Sanchez or Mikhail Puissance, or am I going to turn it around and become an effective professional player who's going to show up every day, work hard, accept the coach's decisions, and if you don't like them, work hard to change the coach's mind. He's got an opportunity with a fresh start for Thomas Tuchel. He needs to take advantage of it. If we see more of the same, I'll tell you what, I'd have no problem with Bayern Munich selling him off this summer. Uh, with Conrad Limer coming in, I see even less opportunity for Ryan Gravenberg. I'd have no problem with Byron selling him outright anyway. But if he if he does continue to to have poor training sessions, if he does continue to perform poorly in matches, if he does continue to display some poor decision making in terms of going to the media or pouting or complaining, whatever, then don't let the door hit you. That's the way I feel about it. So Gravenberg has time to change his career. But his pathway is only going to be determined by him. All of the outside factors now he's passed. He's going to have to make his own way and show that he can be a professional and can be a good player. Otherwise, you know, Bayern Munich is not exactly the place for people who are unhappy, uh, unless you're Bunisar, who seems to be perfectly happy collecting his money but not playing. So either way, Ryan Gravenberg needs to think about his own career direction and what he wants to do and where he wants to be and if Bayern Munich is really the place for him. Finally, we're going to get to the biggest of the big, the huge, enormous news that Julian Nagelsmann was sacked in favor of Thomas Tuchel. And according to everything that we've written and seen at BFW so far, there were several issues. And you could go down the rabbit hole of some of the conspiracy theories we've seen the one about his girlfriend working for build and players not being comfortable. We've seen rumors of an altercation, which we kind of had some fun with between Sadio Mane and Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, we've seen that he had uh, not good relationships with players on the team, that his communication skills were lacking. We've seen a lot of things said about Julian Nagelsmann that all paint him in a, in a pretty poor light. Uh, I want to give my thoughts on on Nagelsmann, factoring all of that in and, and how I've evolved on Nagelsmann, just like the club evolved from investing heavily in him to with a huge transfer fee to backing him 100%, giving him more transfers, say, than it ever gave Hansi Flick or Niko Kovac, giving him uh, the financial investment of going out and adding new technology, adding new tactics tactics and equipment and and new basically new ways new and innovative ways to operate training sessions and games the club gave him everything everybody touted this kid as the next genius and i'm calling him a kid he's not really a kid but in coaching terms he's young everybody backed him and then here we are a year and a half later and he became persona non grata so where i fell on nagelsman at the beginning was a lot of excitement because when flick left i was I was pissed. I thought that Bayern Munich mishandled Flick. I thought they didn't treat him well. And I think that's come to light. Like, you know, the more we see about how Nagelsmann was treated by the Bayern executives and board, I think that it all rings true with Flick. Flick had issues because he wanted more of a say in the transfers. Brazo wouldn't give it to him. So you end up with ill-fitting pieces for what a coach wants to do. And I think Brazo, to his credit, did learn from that. And I think that when you have a coach who had as much success as Flick, you probably want to adhere to what 
that coach wants. You want to get him players that he wants to work with so he can use them in his system with his vision. And I think Brazo, like I said, to his credit, and the board, they both, both entities learned that they need to be a little more flexible with that. So they gave Nagelsmann that, that ability to come in and contribute and be uh, part of the transfer discussions. So we saw some growth there. And as I said, I was very happy with Nagelsmann being the person to replace Flick, because if you were going to have to get rid of Flick, you would, there was to me no other choice, but Nagelsmann at that time, you had to take him and yet, well, you had to get him and you had to bring him in. So they did. And Nagelsmann, as we all expected, came in with a lot of ideas. We knew that this was going to happen. And it did upset a lot of people in the Bayern Munich fan base because we knew Nagelsmann had a proclivity to use a back three. We knew that he was a tinkerer and that he would change things daily, not just game by game, but daily. And he did all of that. He was an extreme tinkerer and it was annoying at times, but he had success. And through that first season, it wasn't everything that I think Bayern Munich fans hoped it would be. Of course, they won the league. They flamed out in the Pokal. Uh, they had a very, in my mind, poor showing in the Champions League because you cannot get knocked out of that stage by that club, uh, just my opinion. But either way, first season, he was getting his feet under him and he was getting his legs under him, I guess I should say. But he was getting used to this whole scene, being on this big stage at Bayern Munich, and it wasn't perfect. He butted heads with Robert Lewandowski, which was a red flag. He had some issues with other players over the course of the season, But in the end, it seemed like it was far more positive than negative in terms of how things looked moving forward. Then we got to this season. There was a ton of activity over the summer. Uh, We saw Sadio Mane and Matthijs De Ligt come in. We saw Robert Lewandowski leave the club. And even though that left Bayern Munich with a huge gaping hole at striker, Nagelsmann was finding a way to make it work. He started out with that four triple two, had some success with it but it wasn't really giving the club or the team what it needed uh, in terms of production on a consistent basis but Nagelsmann was trying like anyone else to work with those pieces he had in place and and granted not all of those pieces were a perfect fit he had one true striker on the roster in terms of Eric Maxim Chupomoting who had been mostly a backup for most of his career really you had a plethora of wings, a plethora of attacking midfielders. You had Leon Goretzka down for the count early, so you had to use Kimmich and Sabitzer, which to me turned out to be one of the blessings of the Hinrunda. And you had this de- defensive back line that, that had some issues you had to sort through. Delict came in. He wasn't quite fit because at Juventus, apparently that's not required. Uh, you had... Benjamin Pavar still kind of playing right back as an out-of-position center back. Uh, but still, Pavar, I thought, was pretty good with it. We had Luca Hernandez, who was solid as ever. Diupa Makano who had some up-and-down moments, but fairly solid. We had Alfonso Davies struggling beginning of the season. I thought uh, he did not, to me, did not look great, had a lot of lapses. So it wasn't great. But over the course of the Hinrunda and leading into this restart in January, Nagelsmann over the course of that time started to figure things out. He figured out that when Hernandez went down, using a back three was the way to go with this group of personnel. And it, it was, 
And as many people as there are that hate the back three at BFW in the community, using Delict, Upa, Makano, and Pavar provided, one, stability. Three, some reassurance that if those wingbacks got too far up the field, they weren't going to be outnumbered on a counterattack. It was everything that Bayern Munich needs for this season. Uh, he figured out that, yes, Davies was struggling and that Davies was not always getting back on defense and that Davies was shirking some of his defensive responsibilities. Nagelsmann worked with him very hard to get that back. Davies now looks sort of like his old self, maybe not 100% of that threat, but he's been much better. At right back, you saw the emergence of Nusar Mizrahi. You brought in Jao Cancelo, but more than anything, over at that right wing back position, Kingsley Coman took it over and dominated it. He was excellent. And of all the stuff that Nagelsmann did over the years, that might have been the thing that was one of the more impactful moves. Coman owned that. He did excellent. I'm kind of hoping that Tuchel keeps him there, keeps the formation and keeps Coman out there, although I don't think it's going to happen. But either way, I thought Kuman emerged as clearly the starter at that position. Of course, in the central midfield, Nagelsmann had settled on Kimmich and Goretzka. And before they loaned out Sabitzer, Sabitzer was just a quality third man that you could bring in at either one of the two spots and he would play it efficiently and be successful. Of course, Sabitzer, after such a good hit and run to wanted more than just being the third man in. Um, so he had to go out on loan to Manchester United. In the background, we know that Bayern is bringing in Limer to complement that mix, but did leave you a little thin with Ryan Gravenberg, who we just talked about, because Gravenberg has not really proven to embrace uh, the defensive part of the game. So either way, until an injury happens to Kimmich or Goretzka, knock on wood, uh, we don't have to worry about that. But the other thing that Nagelsmann really did that I think helped the attacking group there, and when you look at the the mix that they had you had the back three you had those two central midfielders and you had the two wing backs you left you with four attackers and or actually three attackers so what i thought nagelsman did really well and it took some experimentation was figure out how to make the best use of players like thomas muller jamal musiala chupo Leroy sane serge Gnabry. how do you how do you get the best out of them who functions best together? What we did learn is that Thomas Muller and Jamal Musiala working together was by far the best combination for those, what I call two attacking midfielder positions. And I know that a lot of times with Nagelsmann's formation, it's, it, it would feature one AM and two strikers. But in my mind, it was always two attacking midfielders with Chupo being the lone striker up top. Uh, so for me, I felt like when Nagelsmann, when he, when he, Settled in on Muller and Musiala. He had a good yin and yang there in terms of how they played and how they played off of each other. And he had Chupo, who, much like Nicholas Fulkrug, is just finishing at this point. Like, that's that's what you need him to do, and that's what he's doing. I thought that the team finally settled into something that they could now go and compete for the Champions League. Sure, it left Leroy Sané on the bench. Sure, it was going to leave Sadio Mane on the bench and Serge Gnabry. So I could see why it was a risk, but the team looked good. And aside of some that last match under Nagelsmann, the Bayer Leverkusen loss, where to me, in my mind, that had far less to do with Nagelsmann. It had to do with players overlooking 
the match and looking past it really because some of them were going on break. Some of them were going to their international teams. Uh, I thought there was a lack of focus in it. And it's not uncommon for that to happen. Uh, it was basically a getaway game. And and Bayern Munich got away a little early, earlier than they should have. But in my mind, Nagelsmann had the team headed in the right direction. This was the perfect way to set it up. Now, I get this aspect of some of the criticism that we heard with the players I talked about being left on the bench, Sané and Mane. I mean, there's some pressure from the board to make those transfers work, right? Uh, I mean, Sané has been here for a couple of seasons and he's been good, not great. He's been very inconsistent. And a lot of times with Sané, his own pro- he's created his own problems by falling into these funks and dealing with, to me, what looked like bouts of confidence. And it's not a knock on him. Every single player will go through it. His seemed to be prolonged and extended, and it does affect his play. I mean, he is nowhere near, when he goes through those funks, he's nowhere near the same type of player. Sadio Mane has in my mind, had a lack of focus since being here. He's been offside a ton. His finishing has been good, not great, but he's also been hurt. He also has had games where he was not effective at all. I didn't necessarily love the transfer when it went down. I thought there was a lack of foresight in bringing in another player who was, if you were going to stick with a 4-2-3-1, was going to have to play wing. Uh, and I didn't think that Mane would be a good striker. So I wasn't sure how it was going to work with him, but I think it proved out that if Nagelsmann was going to switch to that back three and he was going to go with a lone striker up top and he was going to use Muller and Musiala as the attacking mids, that Mane was going to have to compete with Chupo. And I don't think Mane was winning that positional battle. Uh, I think that, that Chupo fairly beat him out. And for Mane, I, I, you know, listen, I don't know whether the story is true, whether he and Nagelsmann got into a shouting match about playing time. I don't really care if Nagelsmann felt like Mane wasn't one of the best 11, then he shouldn't play. Uh, and I don't get why there's like this outcry that Mane needs to play. He came in as a transfer. He hasn't performed, I think, up to the level that some people thought he would. That clearly has not been a fully smooth transition. But when you have to make an assessment on a game-by-game basis, if he's not one of your best 11, then he's not one of your best 11. So you leave him out. And if even if there was an altercation between the two and Mane uh, was yelling and Nagelsmann was, was you know yelling back or whatever happened, uh, I, I don't feel like Nagelsmann was in the wrong. And I don't feel like it's fully on Nagelsmann to make that transfer work. If we all go back to that transfer, you have to remember that it was – before Lewandowski made his move to FC Barcelona, but we all knew it was coming. This the Lewandowski had really put on the full court press to leave Bayern Munich. And no matter how many times the club denied it, Lewandowski was going. So they brought in Mane right beforehand. And I think that helped absorb some of the sting of eventually losing Lewandowski, which I think happened just days later. Uh, and, and Mane, like, he was a name. He was someone that would get the fans fired up, that would get them excited, and that would hopefully inject some life into it. He has not done that so far. It doesn't mean he can't. I think Mane is still a good player. I do worry about how he fits. So um, I was okay with the pathway moving forward if Mane was on the bench. Like, I don't have any. I'm not a Liverpool fan like Tom. I didn't care what happened to Mane. I cared 
would happen with Bayern Munich and how they would function best moving forward. So if he was left out, he was left out. And I would say the same thing about Thomas Muller. The problem with the times that Thomas Muller gets benched is typically the team goes in a funk. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the way you can evaluate things and look at things and, and seeing how a team functions when a player does go out. But either way, Nagelsmann being tasked with making Mane work out and, and finding a way to get the best out of Sané, if that was the criticism that got him fired, then I think it was unjust because at some point the players have to perform. They just have to. So now Thomas Tuchel will inherit that problem. He's going to have to find a way to make these transfers work out. These players that came to Bayern Munich with such high expectations, but who just quite haven't lived up to it. And I don't want to make it sound like uh, I'm being overly hard on Sané and Rane. I'm not. I think Sané's awesome. I mean, in fact, if you give me the choice between Sané and Mane, I take Sané every day. And I've been critical of some of the things with Sané over the years, uh, just like I've been critical of Thomas Muller. I'm one of the few people here that will will criticize him when he's not right. He's awful. And there are times over the past couple of seasons where he's been awful. But eventually he, he, he does find his way back in the good graces because he does find ways to impact the game. With Sané, when he's on, he is absolutely electric. And I think he can steal the show <laughs> when he is at the top of his game. We've just seen too many lulls and funks with him that that just, they happen too consistently. And for me, I don't think necessarily keeping him for a spell on the bench does a bad thing for him. Because I think it would reignite him, get him a little more fresh physically, and would allow him to enter games where he can make a more immediate impact and then probably work his way back into the starting 11. For Mane... Where this goes from here, I don't know. The one thing we do know with Tuchel is he's going to give both Mane and Sané a chance to, to become starters again, if not this weekend against Dortmund, probably soon. So with Nagelsmann overall, what I want to say is if if he if, if it came down to things like not getting those veteran transfers to work out or not integrating youngsters enough, like Paul Vonner and Arian, Arian Ibrahimovic, I don't know what more he could have done. And I'm not like this enormous Nagelsmann fan. I was, you know, over the course of time with him, I was very frustrated at times with his personnel decision-making. I was very frustrated with tinkering so much. I was very frustrated with how he pushed different formations in too much and players looked confused. I, I wasn't always a fan, but what he did by the end of his tenure, I thought had Bayern Munich set on the best pathway for this group of players. I think he had them heading in the right direction. They were confident and they were looking good. And sure, the Bayer Leverkusen match was a mess, but it was a getaway game. <laughs> and I don't understand why that became such a focus. But anyway, Nagelsmann, I thought, had a very successful tenure. I thought he was unfairly sacked. And that all led to this hiring of Thomas Tuchel, which was going on behind the scenes and Bayern Munich knew early last week that it was pursuing Tuchel and if you read the reports it all came down to Tuchel's availability he was probably going to get hired by someone this summer so if Bayern was eventually going to get Tuchel they were going to have to do it now I think it was a ham-handed way to do it I don't think they needed to press themselves and go get Tuchel right now. I thought Nagelsmann was doing a good enough job. Uh, as much as the club might like Tuchel, 
to push Nagelsmann out at this stage, it's a huge risk. And while Tuchel is clearly a brilliant coach, to bring him in at this stage of the season, if anything less than a treble happens, this is a failure. Because to me, Nagelsmann had them pushing toward a treble. They were in second place of the Bundesliga with a huge match against Dortmund upcoming. Consistency heading into that match would have probably been great. They were steamrolling through the Pokal. They have been excellent in the Champions League. I don't know what reason Bayern Munich could think of to make this move at this juncture of the season and take this much risk. It's all about risk right now. Why upset the apple cart? Was Nagelsmann that disruptive in the locker room? I would love to know the answer to that because it's the only thing I can think of as to why the club would make the move now. And I get that they like Tuchel, and I get that his availability was probably waning. And I get that if there was going to be a move for him, it was probably going to have to happen now. But I don't think it was the right move. And listen, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that Tuchel leads them to a treble. I hope he stays here for 10 years. He figures out all the personnel issues. He gets Ryan Gravenberg to play defense and stop complaining to the media. I hope he does all that because it would be great for the fan base. It would be great for the club. It would be awesome to have some stability. But right now at the coaching position, there is no stability. The players are not just working for a new head coach. They've got a whole new coaching staff coming in. And if you think about it, to allow Nagelsmann to do some of the things that he did and then just turn around and fire him weeks later, it doesn't make sense. You had Nagelsmann fire Tony Tapalovich, who you could think what you want. Tapalovich, maybe maybe he was the mole in the locker room. Maybe he was the one leaking things to players, leaking things to the press. I don't know. But either way, he made that decision. The club backed him. And sure, it upset Neuer. Absolutely, Neuer and Ulrich were upset, but Neuer broke his leg skiing, so his voice right now is, is kind of muted. You got Jan Sommer, who is a was as good a replacement as you could get at that point. You recovered from it. You, you, you were able to find a way forward when Neuer got hurt. You were able to get over the hurdle of firing the goalkeeper coach at this time of the season because Neuer wasn't there to do anything about it. So you survived all that. And while some players, I'm sure, didn't like it, the players were playing pretty damn well. So even if they didn't like Nagelsmann or they didn't like some of his moves, they were still functioning well under him. Now you have Tuchel. Now you have risk. You've got a new coaching staff in. You're probably going to have some new tactics, maybe a new formation. How is Tuchel going to manage these players? We've seen some rumors he's going to play a 3-4-3. We've seen a lot of stories that he's looking to lean on Sané, Mane, and Jao Cancelo. It doesn't mean that he's going to come in and it's all going to work. If we've learned one thing about Bayern Munich, it's at a side of Hansi Flick and Jupp Heinkes, it takes some time to figure out how the hell to get this roster to work together. There was a growing, <laughs> there were growing pains going back to Carlo Ancelotti, to Nico Kovac, certainly with Julian Nagelsmann. And unless Tuchel comes in with a magic touch like Flick had, where he instantly just put players in the right spot and they performed, it's not going to be easy. And I think to do it right now, as I've said, it's, it was a massive risk. The board should be called out on this. They should, no one should be happy with the timing of it. You might have hated Nagelsmann. You might have disliked everything he was doing. But to do this now presented an unnecessary risk. And as I said, unless 
this group of coaches, unless Tuchel can lead this team with his coaching staff to a treble, this move was a failure. It was a short-term failure. Now, long-term, we can assess things, however long-term may be as a coach at Bayern Munich now. Apparently, it's not that long. But for the short-term, unless this team wins a treble, which I firmly believe they were capable of, even though they drew Man City, I believe they were capable of that under Nagelsmann. I, I don't know if they're going to be capable of it under Tuchel just because of the timing of all of it. And it's not a knock on the Slim Reaper. I, I actually like Tuchel. I think he's got a lot going for him. But aside of the risk of making the change here, aside of, uh, uh, of trying to make it all work with a group of players and a new coach at this juncture of the season, you've got a guy who has a reputation of destroying relationships with players, with alienating locker rooms, with becoming a grading presence. And I'm not saying that's going to happen with Bayern Munich. I'm not saying it's, you know, Tuchel's going to come back and we're going to see all the same stories we saw about Dortmund and PSG and Chelsea with him. He could turn the page and, and become more of a player's coach, right? He could find ways to build relationships and maintain them rather than destroy them. There's never a doubt about his tactics. There's never a doubt about what he knows about the game or how he can manage a game. It's how he can manage a team. And for Tuchel, he's going to have to prove that. And he's had success. Listen, if he could take Chelsea, that Chelsea team, to a Champions League title, it's tough to doubt his coaching ability, right? I mean, for as much as people want to bag on Timo Werner and Kai Havertz and some of the other players, Mason Mount, Christian Pulisic, that were all part of that Chelsea team. They did win the Champions League under Tuchel. So he he's he has a track record. He can get a group to work together, but then it seems like it all falls apart and falls apart pretty quickly because of his interactions with players, his relationships with players. So all of this, as I've said about 10 times in this show, is a risk. And it's not a criticism of Tuchel. It's a criticism of the board and the timing and how this all happened. It was a bad look. It has a bad feel. I hope like hell Tuchel can get it together. I hope like hell he can push this team to a treble. But if he doesn't, I will say I'll be disappointed. I think fans should have every right to be disappointed because aside of that last match against Leverkusen and maybe some maybe uninspired draws over the course of the year, Nagelsmann had them on the right track. He had finally figured it out. And I think it was only fair to let him see this season through. And if he failed and you didn't want to bring him back, you could have fired him then. And maybe you didn't get Tuchel, but there's no guarantee with Tuchel either. We don't know what he's going to do. We don't know how this will all work out with him. And if honestly, if the pattern holds true, he might have a war in the locker room within two years anyway. So for me, I don't like the move in terms of getting rid of Nagelsmann. I like Tuchel as a coach, but it's risk-filled. And I think that things could really go wrong. I don't know that we'll get a full indication, right or wrong, about the hire this weekend against Borussia Dortmund. Honestly, Bayern's just a better team. They have a deeper roster. Uh, I think they're a tough matchup for Dortmund. I'm picking Byron to win, even though this is all done pretty hastily in terms of Tuchel integrating into the team. But either way, this is a, a Byron Munich club that expects greatness. And I think that they were on the verge of it with Nagelsmann. 
And I think he was pushing them toward it. So the timing of all this, it leaves the board open to criticism. And if it doesn't work out, fans should be pissed. Finally, aside of all of the Bayern Munich drama, I'll give you a quick synopsis. I did watch the most recent episode of The Mandalorian. I think we're going down some very interesting pathways with that. I know I was listen. I've said this a, a few times about Star Wars. I've watched the movies. I've watched The Mandalorian. I've watched the, the Disney Plus shows that they've produced. Uh, I have not watched the cartoon versions like Rebels or anything, but I do know because after I watch an episode, I inevitably have to go read about it to you know see the things that I missed or see the characters who I didn't quite get. But I know that there was the reemergence of a character from Rebels. I understand that this could lead to more of those characters being reintroduced into the storyline. I thought as a standalone episode, it was good. You get you you got the action, you got that formulaic. There's a problem, there's a solution, there's the action to get to that solution, and then there's the final outcome setting up the next problem. The one overarching storyline is the imperial, the quote unquote reformed imperial soldiers who uh, are going through that 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 uh, program in Coruscant, who inevitably are going to. Uh, help spring Moff Gideon out of wherever he is, which it looks like maybe they already did in the episode and that there's going to be a big conflict moving forward between the Mandalorians and Moff Gideon. So whatever the case, the Mandalorian continues to follow a formulaic pattern. It continues to work. The action is good. Listen, you're you're not coming into this looking for great acting because you're not going to get that anyway. But the writing has been good. The stories have been good. The action has been good. And I like that within these formulaic episodes, there is an overarching theme for the season. And I think that's really what The Mandalorian does so well. It doesn't get caught up in just being its own separate episode each each week. It doesn't get caught up in this great overarching storyline like you might have seen with The Wire or Game of Thrones or some other great shows. It finds a way to meld those two genres of of shows together and it to me it does so pretty flawlessly so I'm, i've been impressed with it over the course of its run i think it continues to be very very good and uh, i'm looking forward to how this season plays out but thanks for listening to the weekend warm-up i don't want to drag on the entertainment portion of the show that much because i really did want to hit a lot on uh nagelsman and tuchel and you know what might happen with some of these players moving forward. I think obviously that was the the most massive news of the week. Uh, as you can see, we have officially moved over to a new distribution platform for our podcast. Anchors to home for now. Uh, listen, we uh, we're exploring things, but most importantly for us, and this will take you behind the scenes. We wanted to secure all of our historic episodes. We wanted to get them all under our roof from SBN, which SBN was really great about it in terms of uh, helping us do that. They got us all set up in terms of giving us our old episodes and and getting us to a platform where we could continue to podcast and reach out to you guys. Uh, so we're very grateful for how SBN handled that, even though you know we're still you know unhappy that we're not part of the SBN podcasting family any longer. But we do appreciate everything that they've done and how smooth smooth of a transition they made for us. That said, we are still looking at ways to expand and grow as a podcast. So 
while we're at anchor now, we'll see what happens. Uh, we have some things we're looking into, but as long as we could transition all of our shows and all of the history of our shows and get them to a place where we could then examine and move on, uh, potentially in the future, I think that that, that was the key goal in, in trying to keep this podcast going and, uh, and look for ways to work in the future. And that's what we're doing. So thank you all for sticking with us through that. I know it was a little difficult, a little bit confusing. And for us, it was, it was crazy because we were trying to sort it out and figure it out as details changed along the way, but we're happy with how it all played out. And we're, uh, we're very grateful for the situation that we're in right now. And uh, we're happy that we were able to retain all of those episodes. So uh we're we're pleased with everything to this point, but there could be more changes along the way, and we will keep you in tune with everything that happens. So, as always, you can get me at the twit at Twitter on Twitter at the Barrel Blog. Maybe I've talked too much right now. Uh, <laughs> you can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our tweetmeister Tom Adams at Tommy Adams seventy one. You can get the mysterious one I need no name at BFWINNN, and you can get all of our talented. Writers and podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Uh, please give us, uh, check us out. Give us a listen on the podcast. Check out our posts over on the site. We are covering Borussia Dortmund versus Bayern Munich pretty heavily right now. Uh, there's also obviously a lot going on with Tuchel and Nagelsmann and transfer talk and everything else. So check us all out. We cover it all. So we're your one-stop one stop shop for Germany and Bayern Munich. So keep following us there. Uh, as always, reach out to me on Twitter. Hit me up. Uh, drop some comments in the post below this, and uh, or, or it's in the post. And you know, I'm always up to uh, respond back to those. Love hearing your feedback. So appreciate all you listening, and have a great weekend. Have a few beers on me, and we will see you next time.